there's also a philosophy that I've begun to really get into as an older, um, as a young professional with nystagmus and just a young, an older 20 year old with nystagmus, I guess, um, to be specific. Uh, it's, it's one of anti-fragility and it's this idea that these really tough situations that we find ourselves in or that we're going to find ourselves in because I don't doubt that some of us are super ambitious people, we actually have to use that for our benefit and we have to flourish under strain because it, it's just, it's a reverse thinking of just being a survivor. You're actually now being, you're, you're creating amongst the chaos. Hi everybody and thank you for checking out the Dancing Eyes podcast episode 22. My name is Frankie Caputo and today my guest is Chris. This is a really interesting episode, guys. Uh, Chris introduced me to a lot of new ideas that are definitely worth exploring, and I'm happy to share them with you today. Some of the topics that we discuss include the benefits of vision therapy, how color palettes can affect our eyes, different philosophies that can be used to help live with nystagmus, and a lot more. If you guys are not following the Dancing Eyes podcast on Instagram, you are definitely missing out, and I highly recommend checking it out. We post clips from all the different episodes on there, and we've got a good little community going. So if you want to follow us on Instagram, you could type in Dancing Eyes Podcast, or just click the link in the description. This episode of the Dancing Eyes Podcast is sponsored by the American Nystagmus Network. ANN works to improve the quality of life for all persons and families affected by nystagmus through organized community, support, education, public awareness, and research. If you guys are interested in donating to ANN, and if you use Amazon, you can easily donate to them by downloading Amazon Smile, and for no extra cost, Amazon will donate a portion of their proceeds straight to the American Nystagmus Network. A link to the American Nystagmus Network will be available in the description of the podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube, and if you haven't hit that like button already, please do so, and also leave me a comment. Let me know what you think. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, leave the podcast a review. Lastly, new episodes will be out on the first and third Monday of every month, so make sure to keep your eyes out for those. And with all that being said, I hope everyone listening enjoys and gets something from this episode, and let's get on to the show. Yeah, um, so I, my name is Chris, and I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I have a degree in philosophy from UW-Madison. And I just finished up my law degree from Case Western Reserve in Cleveland. And now I'm back in Milwaukee working for a personal injury law firm out here as well. They do immigration and they also do criminal and all the criminal gets really interesting. Um, so anyway, but that's what I've been up to in the last few months while also uh, preparing for the bar and taking that in the end of Jan uh, July. So, so you've, you're, um, you're pretty, so you're a lawyer, but you've also got the uh, the philosophy degree. That's pretty neat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the the law stemmed from my interest in um, philosophy, particularly bioethics and the ethical analysis of medical practice, and just different environmental questions. Different you know, vegetarianism is a bioethical question, whether or not it's good, bad, neutral, whatever. Um, but uh, from from my interest in <clears throat> ethics generally stemmed that kind of niche and then in order to make a career out of it i was told that i should go into politics medicine or law and the law seemed the most attractive at that time so i went for it oh what do you mean you don't want to get into politics man what politics yeah so no awesome. i mean it's politics <laughs> <laughs> it, it 
it, it still actually might be something I do down the road, um, but just not in a bioethical context, I guess. Um, at this point, I learned a lot of health law, and that was my way of kind of stepping across similar interests while also keeping opportunities, you know, open. Right. So, so what gravitated you towards the philosophy? Um, I have always been kind of in my head. I think probably a few of us with uh, visual disorders might be more inclined to be inward thinking just because the outer world is a little more, it's not scary, but it's hard to like articulate where even things are in new environments. Um, so I, I even find myself kind of shutting down in new places just because I'm not sure where things are. Right. Um, and it can it can feel quite quite intimidating. And so um, I think just the desire and also just like the fact that I don't know why people are reacting to me in such a way. Jesus, or like what, you know, why why like certain interactions like in sports when I was younger, like seven, eight years old, like why wasn't I just I seem to have physical capability. Why wasn't I doing as well? And I just didn't equate that with the visual with the nystagmus. So um, just you, you do spend a lot of time thinking what the heck is happening. Yeah, so. no, really. It's like people, at least in my experience, it sounds like this is kind of what you're saying too. Like people would treat me a little bit differently than others. And I'm just like, well, I'm kind of acting similar to the people that they're treating me different than why are they treating me different? Like what's different with me? And then it wasn't until later on where people were kind of like more verbal about my eyes. Like first it was just like, you know, he's weird. I'm not going to talk to him. These are like elementary school days, you know, a while ago. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. So how do you think that having nystagmus has, has made you more of a thinker? Do you think that the nystagmus has affected your thinking habits? Yeah, I would say so. Um, I think no different than how it affects my style of painting and art is that I I want to first just Occam's razor. What is the simplest way to deal with the problem? Well, I guess for me and the, the level of, of twitch I have, the level, the how dynamic it is, uh, meaning uh, how high are the highs of its frequency and how, how slow are its lows kind of thing. Um, I know that I tend to be pretty rapid thinking because I have a pretty dynamic level of it. I don't, I, it's unpredictable. So I tend to do a lot of kind of brain vomiting in moments <clears throat> because I'm not sure how things might change. That's helpful. That's hurtful. It, it's going to depend on the context, like, but I like brainstorming sessions. I love doing, and I know that that's one of my strengths <clears throat> because the, the dynamic nature of this nystagmus encourages me to throw ideas out quickly hmm how's the nystagmus encourage you to throw out ideas quickly i'm wondering i think based on the if you for instance i keep pain journals and i would i would suggest this for for anyone who's starting to become more self-aware of their nystagmus or aware of other visual disorders because sometimes they overlap um <clears throat> is to mark or map throughout a day the conditions and the state of pain you're in or just the state of discomfort it can it has to be a stable metric though and i use pain because sometimes the nystagmus gives me quite a bit of it um so i know that i can almost predict at this point if there's a moment of relief 
or really good thought, really free thought that I'm likely going to get tired soon, that nystagmus is going to increase, I'm going to be in pain, I should probably find somewhere to, um, to hide. <laughs> That's, I guess, the, you got to kind of protect yourself from, from the, the pain that the disability might bring. Right. So, yeah. yeah, no, man. It's, that's good to be mindful about when the nystagmus might increase and what encourages the the rapid movements of the eyes and what kind of helps slow down the eyes. Would you say that painting helps slow down your eyes? Yeah, and I think it's because painting studies my breathing. And I know that you've had a few guests on this uh, the show that discuss the, the benefits of, of mindful breathing. For um, sure while reading or just doing tasks in general. Um, that's actually one of the first things we teach um, new patients in vision therapy is, is how to um, just become like conscious breathing is the first exercise towards better vision in general and less headaches. So. Oh, so the breathing can affect the headaches as well. Yeah, because you're, it's, it's blood running through your body. And if you start holding your breath because you're focusing on something, and it's crazy how, how everyone does it. If you're really focusing, you actually hold your breath. Subconsciously, um, we don't even think about it. We just do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so when, when we and, and the nystagmus community are all, it kind of hops, uh, what is it, like um, kids game when you're hopscotch? Yeah, when you're hopscotch, you can cross the book holding your breath, letting it out, holding your breath. I mean, <laughs> you're like the little, like the little kid who's holding his breath, making his face turn red. Kind of thing. <laughs> well, the vision That's... therapy is a cool one, dude. Like we should, yeah. we gotta definitely talk about that. Now, when people think about treatments for nystagmus, I think the first thing that would come to mind are surgical operations and stuff that we can do uh, like surgically. But when you were talking to me a little bit about, um, visual therapy there was a lot of stuff that w wasn't surgical obviously because because it's therapy so can we let's talk a little bit about that um so first of all is what got you into the vision therapy is that from the nystagmus or is that something else yeah i like almost all the different things that i i think stem from my interests and benefits in life somehow they are do relate to to either being in sync with the nystagmus or trying to work kind of work with it. And so in this case, I was um, a Ukrainian dancer for roughly 15 years. I started when I was nine, I think, and I, I did it well into my early 20s. And then um, I was into middle school when, when things were getting a little more difficult, the steps were getting harder, we were getting more athletic, and my nystagmus was kind of hindering me from uh, being able to learn these steps and, and do them well. So my, my dad found this vision therapy company in Milwaukee that was um, had also helped a few other kids um, in uh, the kind of uh, so I'm, I'm Eastern European um, nationally and, and, and I was adopted and so there was this group of families that had all adopted from Eastern Europe and they um, two of the kids in that group had also gone to this therapist and had seen benefits and but we're not really sure benefits what that meant because they didn't have what the nystagmus was they had their own visual conditions so you you have to be really careful when talking about outcomes positive outcomes and right. doing vision therapy um 
partly for legal reasons, and I think partly because it's super important to be careful with what you can promise. Um, I, having gone through it, can say that the breathing is a big one. And then like general visual awareness. And, and um, there's this, uh, we call it looking uh, hard and looking soft. And when you're looking hard, um, you are focusing in, you're tunneling your vision on something that you really want to look at. Whereas looking soft is when you're focusing on the four corners of your peripheral and actually be, you know, telling your telling yourself what you can see in your entirety in your whole visual background. And it's nuts that most of us don't actually use our entire peripheral because, well, we're always focusing on something. Exactly. Yeah. So. Um, so what's the benefit then, of knowing yeah. the the differences between looking hard and looking soft? What can we gain from being mindful of that? Sure. I would say that it helps you establish what the base pain is, because if you're thinking, man, I'm in a, I have a headache from, from all this work, from reading, from, from using my eyes, from the disorder, <clears throat> excuse me. You can also just say, well, first, let me just breathe and look softer. Let me, let me try and capture more into my visual per, uh, peripheral and that hope that it won't take your pain away. Never think that because that's a, that's just a myth. But it it will it could notch a little pain off, and it's it's going to be that plus tea plus a dark lit room. All of those different things are going to help you um, when fighting this pain more organically. Because I think a big thing is that we don't want to just jump to drugs either, because there are side effects to a lot of different drugs, and we need to just play it. We need to do as much as we can without. I think prescription assistance. I agree. Yeah. That's why I think that the, the um, visual therapy stuff is so neat. So in terms of the first thing that you're talking about is, is the breathing. Right. And the second thing would be focusing on like hard vision versus soft vision. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think that that's a neat idea. I've never even really, I've never thought so hard about that. I've thought about it a little bit though. But uh, I would imagine that you would be in less pain and your eyes would be a, a little, a bit less fatigued when you're kind of experiencing your peripherals as wide as they get, as opposed to just focusing dead on onto something. I can see how that could definitely help. And then you also mentioned other things like, like tea in a dark lit room. What else do you think would affect the eyes in a positive way when you're trying to calm down? Well, certainly, if the if the nystagmus is associated with other visual disorders, for instance, albinism, um, you might have light sensitivity that you have that can contribute can contribute to the pain as well. Um, I'm not sure how much the nystagmus creates a light sensitivity, but I can imagine, at least for me, if there are like overhead lights in a room, I immediately feel dizzy because they, it's, it's kind of a rave in, in the dining room kind of thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> whereas I like, I, <laughs> I just, you don't I'm want just to trying eat dinner. It. <laughs> looks, like looks like I'm at an EDM festival. Yeah. yeah. Truly. And, and so I just, I, I know that different, um, Different environments can be really pleasing and really therapeutic. Like um, the, I, I'm going to probably butcher how it's pronounced, but the Higa, um, uh, Scandinavian culture of, of like candles and hot and tea and just 
blankets and quilts and just, oh, that sounds relaxing. just kind of like the cozy northern european feeling um is i also know um one thing that i really like is uh, dark academia as a um a setting in a background so like low candles and like a lot of bookshelves and just it, it dark there are academia ways, uh, yeah what's, dark what's, academia what that? i've never heard of that word yeah, I guess it's a it's a genre of interior design. I I mean I I followed a few pages on Instagram, but I also just found myself creating my own style of apartment because of my visual needs. And it ultimately came to be that the products I was buying in order to furnish my home were like I was going on Instagram, and they were all showing this type of thing called dark academia. So I guess that's what I was getting into. That's so cool. I've never considered the idea of changing your physical surroundings based off of our eyes right and if your eyes have a, if you have a particular genre of art perfect like go find either artists that do that in your local community and buy their art because it's cool to purchase local art or buy um buy art that like i bought a shower curtain that had one of my favorite paintings by uh, mark chagall and it was it was almost like stained glass and but I just put it over one of my windows and it just created this wonderful light effect and in, into the living room and it controlled the amount of light because it was never, you know, it just never hurt. So your place sounds like so cozy. It sounds like yeah. such a cozy spot. Oh my god. <laughs> if you all uh learning a little color theory i think would benefit any person with a visual issue because that allows us to be like we like reds for a certain reason or we like blues for a very specific reason right on so all of this stuff i feel like would help tremendously in terms of like how can we make our eyes more comfortable how can we make ourselves less uh just more more comfortable with our with our surroundings and not be in so much discomfort and uh and i guess for some people it could be painful as well like i know when my eyes are going crazy it could definitely be more than just in discomfort on a rare occasion but it could definitely happen now all that stuff is good and i think all of that stuff is valuable and now i'm curious how would we go about let's say uh, as opposed to helping ourselves physically how do we help ourselves mentally with our eyes how would how do you think you would go about that because there's there's so much stuff man because i know i spoke to you about this before we filmed a couple weeks ago and um a lot of my guests that i've had on the podcasts maybe got bullied because of their lack of sight and because they couldn't see so well but for me personally it wasn't so much the lack of sight that really hindered me in school and in and in um you know, situations with other people. What really messed me up was like aesthetically how my eyes made me look. And I, I was in my head about this all the time. I was just thinking about it all the time. Like, how do I look? My eyes are so wonky. Like I'm not even, I guess I always feel like I'm looking at the person, but apparently I'm, apparently I'm not looking at them. And I, keep, <laughs> I keep hearing about this and it just made me so insecure. And how, how do you, um, what what steps have you taken to kind of make yourself more secure with your eyes? Sure. Um, I think it it's all about identifying as someone with the disorder, with the disability, with, with the, whatever we want to call it, with nystagmus. 
And we know that we're, we can all empathize with each other who has it. Like that's the first step. Um, and I think that's what's part of what's so cool about this podcast, what's so cool about other other networks in this in the country, like the American Nystagmus Network, um, as well as the one in the UK, which is a really great place to start um, when trying to just find people and parents who might have this issue to to look into. Um, Two really good Facebook groups, by the way, just for anybody listening. If you're a parent, there's a lot of parents listening, totally check out their Facebook groups. Sorry for interrupting. Figured out there. Yeah, and... Of course, shout outs all the time. It just it helps everyone. And so I think um, learning, learning one, maybe that is why people are reacting to you in such a way. And you don't you don't have to take it personally. Um, you just I, I've equated it, to, it. It is an invisible disability. It, it, it takes people assume you're normal and then they find out you're not, which is a really rough process to go through over and over and over again. Um, and I mean, I'm sorry, folks, but it, it, that sucks. This is just an objectively shitty experience to, to live. But um, there's a lot of uh, real, really good stuff that can come out of it, too. Um, one of them that I have learned is this concept of first of resilience, because that's just it's, it's what it's going to take. There, there is an inconvenience to some of this that I think is important to just expose explain and then just we don't have to talk about it anymore we just have to work get we have to get better every day kind of thing um and so just starting off a conversation with about resilience is is a great way um to to start incorporating that into the identity of also what it means to have nystagmus um there's also a philosophy that i've begun to really get into as an older, um, as a young professional with nystagmus and just a young, an older 20 year old with nystagmus, I guess, um, to be specific, uh, it's, it's one of anti-fragility. And it's this idea that these really tough situations that we find ourselves in or that we're going to find ourselves in because I don't doubt that some of us are super ambitious people, we actually have to use that for our benefit and we have to flourish under strain because it's just it's a reverse thinking of just being a survivor you're actually now being you're you're creating amongst the chaos which is a pretty difficult thing to do when all you see is double so as opposed to just kind of accepting where we are and just being more of like a defensive type of person kind of like attacking that and using that more to our advantage Yes, I would say so. Exactly. Anti-fragility. You've introduced me to that. I've never heard of that before, before I met you. Was that something that you learned in psychology or philosophy? Where do you even learn about that? It was sometimes I don't even remember. Um, I'm I'm thinking if that's the case, then it was probably one of those 3 a.m. deep dives in the YouTube algorithm that you're just like, what's that? And, and suddenly you're on Wikipedia and four different tabs are open and it's 530 and you have work in, in an hour and a half, but whatever. So I, I think he, yeah, I, um, the black swan theory. It was one of his, he's elaborated on that too. That's not his um, I think it's Muhammad Taleb's um, is the author, but it's the black swan theories that we use in our models um, assumptions that only take 
a new unique concept to break the model. So if we logically argue all swans are white and suddenly we, there's a black swan, the model becomes useless. Right. And so it's, I, I honestly don't know too much about it, so I shouldn't, I shouldn't be trying to teach about it just yet, but it's okay. I won't question you about it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You did mention kind of earlier about how nystagmus could be kind of like an invisible disorder where people don't really know that there's anything different about you. And the more you're with them, the more they kind of start to realize that, that, there is something a little different with your eyes and i totally resonated with you on that because i've experienced that so many times where it seems like the first time i meet with somebody i can be pretty open and we start off pretty well and like this the more they get to know me it's like the more my eyes start to shake or the more i feel like they're aware of it and then they see my head movements and it's like pretty much as soon as i feel like they're aware of the movement of my eyes i feel like i have to mention something because i don't want them to have to be i don't want there to be an elephant in the room and i'm curious how you go about that exact situation yeah no, that's that's definitely a tough one. And I, I kind of equate it more in employment situations than in, in personal relationships. Um, and so I can definitely answer in that context where I just think of the, this idea good on paper. Like I like I've done a lot and I and I know I have and it just a quick, quick you know way to feel good about yourself folks is to go like read your resume and be like a person with the stagmas did that like that's really that's cool um and so that's just that's great also um sometimes when you're trying to like get a job you can't bring up the disability right away um it it really is going to depend on the context and so it's it it may be the invisibility is that it doesn't show up on your resume and you might get hired then for things that end up really pushing it to a problem. Um, that's kind of where I can, I worry about it being exposed and you feel like you're sneaking around something. It's, it's I've kind been of there. funny. I've been but... there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so as for just the social settings. Yeah. I mean, I think um, most, I think most of, adults our age at this point are, are pretty okay with you feeling oh i think i noticed something a little different but it's really not that big of a deal as for the younger gen you know younger middle school high school i don't know like that's that's just objectively hard because everyone's like picnic you know nitpicking you about like the shoelaces you have on I, it's right so it's just another thing right <laughs> yeah it's just another yeah. thing yeah middle school is just object- objectively tough well i'm big mouth does a pretty decent job so the job thing's that. hilarious man because i've worked at a job at one point where i where i cleaned right it's like I, I worked at a grocery store and and my whole job was i came in as a closer and i would just clean and like nobody knew that i was visually impaired and I just never mentioned it. And I was like, I shouldn't be cleaning right now. I can't, I can barely see the crumbs that I'm sweeping up here. And meanwhile, they've got me cleaning up this whole department. And I never really heard any complaints. And I just, after like four or five months, I mentioned it. And I was like, hey, by the way, it's like, I have a thing and I can't really see. And they're like, yeah, I've noticed your eyes, but I didn't know that like you couldn't really see anything. And I was like, I guess that means I'm doing a good job. You guys haven't said anything. <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. If no one says anything, it, it's success. Yeah. So, do you think? Yeah, the... it's, it's... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. 
no sorry I, I was just gonna wrap up by uh, by saying that it's it's definitely it's an art form to be able to communicate this disability with employers because of the idea that if you do get injured they could be liable for that kind of potential argument um so they all they're always thinking about how you could get hurt doing what you're doing just coming from the workers compensation background that i'm doing right now even in law and so um it's I think it's best for to, for instance, to not even use the word nystagmus, but just say generic descriptions that have that will make people less inclined to ask about them. Um, for instance, rather, rather than even saying visual disorder, I just say migraines. Everyone has had a migraine. Everyone can, can relate to having a migraine, but you might get migraines a lot more than everyone else. And, mm -hmm. and I certainly do. And so if I work, someone's just saying, Hey, like we're noticing some error, a little more error in your work. I'm like, Oh shoot. Sorry. I have a migraine. Well, they don't have to know that like my frequency is up 0.72 yada, yada, and you know, whatever. But, um, that's one way. Um, just saying like, Hey, uh, I have pretty light, I have light sensitivity, even if you don't necessarily like, no, one's going to question. Um, just just use it to your advantage to say I need kind of like that light dimmed or this or that or again a migraine like it's so a pretty good I think go I, I think I might have missed it though but I am a, curi a little curious so like what mm -hmm. what are the benefits of not telling your employer about the nystagmus and keeping it more of like a general thing um I think it's just so that they don't become worried about future liability. tasks they might have you want to do it, it, it if you the more you express your vulnerability the less they're inclined to give you harder tasks and that can ultimately decrease your chances at promotions or or economic growth i mean and that's we don't want that for our for our you know our nystagmus community we want us to always be able to work within the abled community right Right, for so, sure. No, that's a good perspective. That's something, you know, I feel like I I haven't really considered. There, there's something about, about your lawyers, okay? Because I've had a couple of you on my podcast. <laughs> I've, I've had you, and then I've had Haley. I think she's like episode two or something a long time ago. And I was like, you guys bring up things that I hadn't even really considered before, whether it's legal stuff or just a different side of the coin. You know, I was talking to her about man, I can't wait until I could uh, get myself a Tesla and just have that thing drive me around everywhere. <laughs> yes. And she started talking about the legalities of it. And I was like, whoa, don't ruin the fun for me. Like I was, <laughs> I was really enjoying the thought about this Tesla here. And now you're kind of <laughs> telling me like, oh, it might not even be legal. You still got to do like this and this and this. And it's like, it's just interesting that um, the occupation that you have kind of requires you to think a little bit differently than people who might not have that as an occupation so i thought that was pretty certainly neat. and yeah. i think i think it's just a, a scrutiny based on a knowledge of potential risk and it's just we don't we don't think about risk that often unless we're at a casino and then even then it's just for fun um, hopefully hopefully or, you're just there for fun hopefully yeah <laughs> I, I, I think there's that's the only reason you should be there <laughs> but uh um and then also, I think, I mean, when else are we taking, are we actively aware of risks? Oh, um, man. 
I'm not, never mind. I'm not going to say that one. Um... <laughs> all, all we can think of times we've all done risky things. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, and we, we've considered, well, we usually consider the aftermath uh, or after the fact, um, the, the, the chances of things having had happened uh, or could have happened. But uh, in this case, it's just, one of the biggest things is learning the history of how we've had to fight for things like the um, American Disabilities Act, um, the ADA. I mean, that's very recent. That's, that's roughly only 20 years old. Um, and just how still very much there are buildings in every community that aren't accessible to people in wheelchairs. And so when we think about just still how little accessibility there is, um, I think it's it's really great when we can get all perspectives, um, but really asking questions about about that accessibility, and and that makes us a little more keen on. I don't know, I the, the self driving cars is a great example. I think that's one of those things that you know really changed helped me kind of be more comfortable with my nystagmus is in terms of other people and their disabilities kind of taking into consideration like what other people have to go through for example people in wheelchairs or maybe people who suffer from bipolar disorder or or depression it's like there's so many things out there and this is something that i did for myself and it's like for me to come down on myself so hard about my eyes and really be so insecure about them. It's like, it could be a lot worse or it could be a lot different, maybe mm. not worse, but, but different. And it could just be a whole bunch of other things. And, um, just kind of learning how to be grateful for, for what you have, I think could help a lot tremendously with nystagmus. Like nystagmus has done a lot for me, man. I think I would be a completely different person than I am today if it weren't for my eyes. I think it's trained me to talk differently to people. It's trained me to be able to try to be more empathetic towards differences that other people may have. And um, there's just so many things that I think that nystagmus has affected about me that I'm grateful for. I think generally it's been a very positive thing. Like I haven't spoken about this much on the podcast, but I've been doing stand-up comedy I, and I think that I probably wouldn't be doing stand-up comedy if it weren't for the nystagmus. I think I had to learn how to make fun of myself. I had to learn how to kind of, instead of being mad when people laughed at me and getting really upset when people said jokes about my eyes, kind of like one-upping them, kind of being like, hey, if, you yeah. make, if you make fun of yourself first, it's like you have the leverage, man. People don't even want to make fun of you anymore because you're better at making fun of yourself than they are. <laughs> well, I love I love this too because you're using the, the disorder to create content without trying. Like yeah. it's literally a perpetual motion machine where you're like, I got this all day, folks. Keep laughing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, that's it, it. It's tough though because it's something that you have to get over. It's something that you have to get over because it's not like mm -hmm. that all the time. You and you know, for anybody who's young who's listening to this, or parents of children who are young who are listening to this, like it's gonna, it could, it's more than likely gonna be rough when it first starts when when like the bullying first starts maybe you won't get bullied i'm just talking from my experience and from a lot of the people that i know it's like there's gonna be people who just 
are going to crack jokes, whether you want to call it bullying or not, that's whatever, but you're going to have to deal with, with some jokes or something. And then you're going to have to learn how to get over those jokes. And it might be a little rough at first, the stuff that you gain from getting over that stuff will benefit you tremendously in your life. And the way that you adapt to bullies and adversity in life will really make you a better person, I think. So that's my perspective. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think, um, I think we have to teach uh, kids and ourselves how, and I mean, even at work when I'm blamed for something that I know is the eye's fault, but I'm no longer able to say that because I have to hold myself accountable. That sucks by Um, the way. I mean, I, I do feel kind of bad about that, that you, you can't just that you feel like you have a restriction there that you can't just be like, I was born with a thing guys. And then like the the fact that you have to like, um, sense yourself in that way, you know? Yeah, no, I left a, I left an E out of a word today that could almost have been just not there in the first place. And it just, I just didn't catch it. Um, and it, 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 it just, that kind of error is, is somewhat excusable and, and, some communications at least in the legal legal work but generally like it's just better not to have it but the mistake is yours not your eyes when it comes to whoever is above you um and that's the, that's kind of where you're like i'm being screwed but i i at some point just said well it's my eyes and just try harder the next time i can. i don't know <laughs> you can't you, you can beat yourself up and you don't want to do that either you just need to let it go and try your best next time. Yeah, no, really. I mean, at the end of the day, the eyes can only restrict us so much from doing what we want to do. At the end of the day, we're still humans with ambitions and life goals and desires and things that we want to do. And the eyes are like one thing, but then at the end of the day, they can only stop you so much from really trying to obtain what you want to obtain. And you kind of have to, for me, I had to get that under order. Like I had to think about my eyes and be like, okay, this is something that I've had to deal with a lot. And it's really affected me a lot in my life. I kind of have to like take this to the side or maybe use it to my advantage in a way and like still progress with my life and be like, this isn't going to stop me from doing anything. And I think in terms of that, parenting is really important as well because parents have a big role when it comes to to allowing children to, to try new things or to encouraging children to trying something that you might, you don't know if it's going to work or if it's not because of their eyes, but you have to let them try it. You have to let them go for it and try to be the best version of themselves that they can be. Um, how do you think, like what, what role did your parents have in terms of allowing you to, to do things with your eyes? Yeah, I think, uh, I think my, my parents, especially my dad, because he was just more involved from a sports standpoint, um, he was always encouraging me to play up to a point where I had to just say I can't do anymore. So biggest moment for me in that context was baseball when I was getting into middle school, late middle school, into almost high school. Um, and I had a great, accurate throwing arm so they put me in the outfield well i didn't catch i think i caught one ball that came to me the entire season out in the outfield just 
like had a strength in one area and a weakness in another and it just it ended up being a horrific <laughs> season for me um but it also was just like hey you know maybe this isn't the best sport for you anymore and i moved on to wrestling and i did that for about four years which i loved um but um i was also doing dance which my parents found um because they knew i was really flexible and also i just at different parties and, and holidays, I'd always just be like dancing with music. So they, they seemed to get that I really wanted to do something like that. Yeah. Um, so part of that is just like, let your kid, like expose your kid to whatever you can, see what they like naturally, and then encourage them to do it because likely their eyes aren't, aren't hurting. Right. Um, that, that's a big one is, is let them be the captain of their own ship to an extent. Um, I have a feeling that like certain art is really appreciated by or certain creative um uh hobbies kids uh, we like i i really love drawing always have um so uh from from a parenting standpoint just if i think the biggest thing is if they're asking to stop check to make sure like it, it's it's possibly their vision um I don't know, I would say respect your child when they're generally just asking to quit something because they probably just don't like it. But more specifically with the nystagmus, their eyes might be really affecting them. Right. Um, and I think it's only until they get the chance to push themselves voluntarily and know that it's affecting them negatively should they be able to. Like it, 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 it's, it's important to respect the disability that's manifesting through pain and which is manifesting through the request to quit. Yeah. Um, oh, fair so enough. I think being able to quit things is really important when you know you're one in a thousand that sees double. Yeah. Yeah. There's, so. um, yeah, man. There, but you know, there is, it is a bit surprising to me, um, what some of us do do with nystagmus, you know, I think a lot of parents who find out about it might be concerned. How much is he going to be able to see? How much is she going to be able to see? What are they going to be able to do and not be able to do? But based off of this podcast, it's like we've been able to do whatever the hell we want to do. Really? There's not really yeah. been, you know what I'm saying? Like you were a Ukrainian dancer for how long? Yeah. 15 years that's crazy man i mean that that's so that's so awesome by the way i want to see footage i want to see that shit. yeah yeah but... we can we can we'll put it in the link or bio of the of the video <laughs> so how coordinated do you have to be for that because i know some people first of all nystagmus affects a lot of people in a variation of ways it's not mm -hmm. the same for everybody and i totally want to just put that out there but i know i feel like for dancing now i've never been a good dancer but i feel like for dancing you have to be somewhat coordinated did you have to be coordinated or how does that go? I think the best thing, and so I, certainly with this uh, type of dance, so ballet is with all of the spinning, I, I no, I could never have, would, could do, um, nor I think could many of us do because the, the point is that you, you, you spin well by focusing on a single point and then only twisting your head as fast as you can at the very last moment. There's this really cool technique that we learned that I was terrible at. So some of these, like, especially the spinning was tough, but um, a lot of the jumping you find you, since you're, you're usually, I think we're all kind of kinesthetically aware with bad eyes because we, well, we can't see things in front of us. We're, we're generally reacting to things around us. Whereas dance, 
you're much more aware of your own body movements and you're almost it's a meditation of your own movement and i i think it all it generally does help with nystagmus is learning some dancing just as much as learning vision therapy helps improve the nystagmus uh the the rate or the the distance of its twitch um it helped me become a better dancer so i i think it just depends dance doesn't always have to rely on the eyes i guess is my point that okay. you you learn to be free through body movement rather than through visual perception i i have a question about mm -hmm. one thing and it might not be relevant to this podcast but i'm curious now because you mentioned it where you spin and then at the end of the spin you move your head quickly mm -hmm. and that's a technique can you talk i'm just curious now i want to know more about that what's that technique right so so you're twisting your shoulders your whole body is going until your eyes till your head can only go like can't go any further and then you twist you, you twitch you spin your head as fast as you can to the other side which is because your body follows your head so the fa as fast as you move your head around is as fast as your body is going to go so that's that's uh, like encouraging the movement of your body. It's like mm -hmm. kind of like yep, on a swing, right? When you're going exactly, up and you're yeah, up and you're, you're, you're kind of cranking, you're cranking, and then you just whip it as fast as you can around. But the thing is, is that you're focusing again on that very same point that you did, which is what keeps you stable. Obviously, if we see double, we're never we weren't stable to begin with, right? So, so seeing yeah. double, do you see double vision? Do you have double vision? Mm -hmm. Do you? Okay, is that from a procedure, or were you born with that? That was I was born with that. You were born with that. Okay, so interesting. Okay, I'm not because a lot of people with nystagmus I don't think have double vision. Like I wasn't I wasn't born with double vision, but I got it after a procedure. So okay. I I have it a little bit now. I don't have it nearly as bad as I did at one point. Um, what do you do to help with the double vision? Do you have glasses with prisms or contacts with prisms? Did you do you, do you anything to help with that? Yeah, no, I, I use contacts. Um, so, so actually, when I changed from glasses to contacts, we noticed a pretty significant decrease in the twitch. Um, so that's very interesting to think about for um, when a kid gets old enough to be able to put in and take out contacts. Really? Um, and just, yeah. So, so you you're seeing less of a twitch by wearing contacts. Precisely. Hmm. There is a mass, there's a pretty decent benefit in switching from glasses to contacts. Um, also then as you get older and you say you stay up later for college or for work, um, you could switch back into the glasses mode and at the end of the day and not have to worry about dry eye and all of that too. So it's, it's super cool to be, um, amphibious with those two modes of vision of assistance. Um, but for, um, for the double vision, uh, breathing just is really useful. Um, and then, um, I tend to, for instance, uh, make, it all comes down to reading because we have to do so much of it just to do anything in life. We have to read stop signs that are coming, or yeah, just road signs that are coming up or or fine print on a on a bottle of, of something that you don't know what it is kind of thing. So right. it um, it's just going back to the four corners, you know, looking hard, looking soft. That's, that's for me. The that's kind of where place. I was going back to, right, is mm -hmm. we all are looking hard most of the time yeah yeah mm -hmm. i think we are and i think we all just need to decompress and look a little softer and we will we'll stop looking so intense too i i, I certainly get people's reaction that i'm i'm really intense 
it's just Same. no I'm, I'm i'm just trying to look i'm sorry i'm, I'm a nice guy <laughs> i know yeah i've gotten the you're, you're uh, such a intense person i'm like i'm really not i'm actually like really, really calm right now and yeah you know, it's just really my parents. Like, yeah. it's the but the the paradox is that i like i'm now intensely trying to ch- like tell someone that i'm not intense like, i know trying the to irony them, right to believe me yeah <laughs> seriously i'm not an intense person please <laughs> oh you gotta believe me i'm not intense <laughs> i'm so calm right now please understand what i'm saying why does everyone do this and keep telling them oh yeah no that's fucking hilarious that's hilarious um weird question do your contacts have prisms in them by any chance no no? they don't no okay have you ever worn prisms have you experienced how they can affect the double vision so vision therapy actually uses prisms i have um just never in a daily context um I think with my, at least, I don't know, for some reason, the therapists just all basically agree there's no reason. Um, And so I haven't, but I did, I did use them a lot. So what's the reasoning for that? Like, why not wear the prisms? I think um, they can cause headaches, uh, depending on what you do. Um, I know that that's potentially one side effect, but I I don't know, actually, That's, Hmm. that's a good question. Yeah, I'm one. So I'm somebody just based off of the double vision that I've worn. Definitely not before uh, the double vision that I've had. Um, so I got my procedure when I was 13, and then I pretty much wore double uh, wore prisms up until I was 20 when I got LASIK. And uh, mm. it's there's definitely a process that you have to get used to, right? Because they um, they just ah, man, I don't know how to explain it. If you've worn prisms, you know what I'm saying. But uh, they uh, it just changes your perception. Just right. the levels of everything looks a little bit different. It might be a little awkward, and which could definitely lead to some headaches. I have definitely had prism-induced headaches, especially when I'm getting used to a new prism or a new prescription. And then I've kind of gotten used to them. I don't know if they would give me headaches. Sure, anymore. it happens. It's and that's actually part of the the visual exercises that we we do in in, in vision therapy. Is you start off with a low and I think what you're talking about is the um, the distortion of refraction, the, the the way that light bends through these prisms. They affect your perception, and and so we use massive angular prisms to to literally make like the floor in front of you like a hill or looking up or down. Um, and then we also go from side to side to make the world seem like it's circular. And then you have to basically, you have to throw a ball into a basket. You have to balance on a balance beam. Um, we, we, we force patients to acknowledge that when they, as they're wearing these prisms, their vision is distorted so that when they take them off, they learn to see differently just as much as they were learning with the prisms. So it's kind of like adding weight so that you can lift more without it. That's kind of like when the baseball players put the weight on the bat. Precisely. That's a great analogy. Yeah. yeah. Super interesting, dude. I've never even... This vision therapy stuff sounds pretty neat. Yes, I think so. I think the, the biggest thing is to just say that it, it the um, outcome is going to depend on the person. I think it's going to help everyone. It's just going to help some more and some less. Okay. Yeah. So do you give the do you give the uh, the prisms to everybody, or is there a specific kind of people that you're giving them to? 
as far as I'm aware, um, we would use them for um, kind of exam periods. So they'd have six weeks of, uh, of therapy sessions, and then we would use the prisms as a marker for how well they're doing. Um, we can always do it in a vision therapy session, but that can get pretty boring after a while and they can give headaches. So we don't, but um, it's it's kind of a marker within all the other different exercises that they'd be doing. And they'd be using uh, lenses for different exercises, for instance, plus and minus lenses for reading, um, which affect how your eyes focus. So it, it really is good. It's good visual training. And it can benefit everybody. Uh, in our case, it can it can get us a little bit closer to being more efficient at, at doing things visually. How have you been able to measure the results from the vision therapy? Um, just reading speed, uh, a lack of headaches. Um, you aren't bumping into things as much. You might notice. Uh, you might literally start seeing things in depth more. Is there a physical way to evaluate the the differences? Like maybe you can read a couple more letters on the chart. Is there a way? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. That that's its own that's its own uh, depth perception test. Whereas we would be um, we do diagnostics every time people come in, so um, they read numbers going across, um, or they read them going down, and they would just do we would time them and we would see if they improve with how quickly they read it and how accurately they read it. So there are certainly some tests that can be done. In a six weeks, generally the amount of time that somebody would be participating in vision therapy? No, roughly 30. It's, it's a fairly long process. Um, part, but we're also we're dealing with, uh, we're dealing with kids. So it just takes longer to get them to to get used to, to these exercises or yeah. even want to do them like yeah so and some of them really they might not even know it. what it is they're like what are you even no doing? no it's to them it's just why am i why am i not outside right now or why am i not playing video games um so uh that's but for adults i i did an, an adult uh vision therapy session um and i, I think it was about uh, let me think what 12 months and it was once a week so yeah it was about about six sessions mm-hmm. um yeah exactly so and that that just kept me grounded like for instance i can and i think you learn a little bit every time you do it so that time i really began um grew aware of the vertical and horizontal lines in in my in my vision and, and whatever i'm looking at as a way to see how bad the nystagmus is um, and then just using that as kind of markers. And th- so that was just something I learned as an adult doing vision therapy again. So neat. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever, um, have you ever experimented or heard anything about light therapy? Yes, I actually, um, I did a few sessions while working as a vision therapist. It's called syntonics. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, cool. So then we're, we're both on the same page there and the, um, I found it quite useful uh from again kind of an atmosphere light standpoint if you find if you're doing if syntonics isn't cheap and i don't i don't know 
if the effect if you have to spend that much like i'm sorry to the company that i used to work for i'm not i guess i'm not trying to hurt them but in, you can go on youtube and you can find a, a a collection of different lights and you can play with the dimmer setting of your computer laptop whatever sit in a dark room um i would say a turquoise green that's dim you know if you if it starts to hurt obviously stop like you the idea is pretty simple light can help our mood and so um just as easy as finding a, a a light source on youtube um is is doing in my opinion like at home uh, do it yourself syntonics so okay. and it all helps it's it's not again like we're not looking for the perfect cure we're looking for you able to walk into your home and all of it be ex accessible to you so that at least you have one place you can go that you know is safe right and you know i do ask that because i have heard some ridiculous results from this light therapy stuff some stuff that seems mm -hmm. way too good to be true and from youtube videos where they will say like light therapy and nystagmus and then from 2060 to 2020 in a couple of months and then so sure. I, I saw something like this and i was like that's ridiculous come on you know, and then i i went know. into the i went into the comment section and i spoke to the guy and i was like hey i have a nystagmus podcast i would love to have you on i want to know more about this and also i would like to have your your patient on i'd like to interview him and hear his experience from it and he it, i had to reach out to him a couple of times eventually he said i'd love to come on and then i was like okay cool reached out to him again reached out to him again did it like two or three times and then nothing back so okay still super curious but it's yeah you have, you have to be I mean, skeptical because 2060 to 2020 is a massive difference and to no i mean this man would be a millionaire billionaire if, oh if he had found the secret to making that happen right um, so, make no, me 2020 I, uh... jesus please. <laughs> <laughs> no i mean i suspect just generally especially in the darker months you feel better your mood is better you're not hurting as much um emotionally mentally whatever um which can again i mean mental is physical physical is mental it it all it, it all respects each other it's all in so, your head is what you're saying it's right. all in your head yeah man. yeah and and so if you if you do find a color you really love go for it like blast it until you don't want it anymore the, the, nothing is if it doesn't hurt you then try it so what color is your is your place mostly right now um i so the palette that i love i mean simpsons are usually playing but um a dark <laughs> and sapphire blue um generating off of a screen just really helps me i also have found that it's um it makes yellow highlighter pop off of pages really really well so if you're trying to like read by that lighting you can use the highlighter and it actually neons the the writing for you and it, it might actually help you read a little bit um that's what i found too is that the, the the opposite colored neons actually make the highlighter colors their opposites pop out more interesting so neat um what else is there man do you have Anything that you want to like get off your chest? Anything you want to talk about? No, I mean, I just, I'm happy to have been able to come on here and I'm looking forward to, to seeing if other people want to connect through this and just talk a little more. I'd love to go on and 
again at some point um i'd love to have you on again there's such a great community man there's so many great people who i've met through the podcast whether they're somebody who's listened or or people that i've had on so many cool people dude so i gotta have you on again i'm working on putting together something where uh potentially like a live zoom call or where it's live streamed up on youtube but um but i also put a zoom link out on my instagram page anybody can join that we can just go in there and chat now i'm trying to figure out logistics and figure out how to do it but i don't think it's been done before and i think it'd be pretty neat to kind of get all these people in nystagmus together on a live stream on the podcast and just have a good time man absolutely i mean i think um because you all have you all you have all of our emails at this point because you're sending the, the codes and the links. I know I've, I have captured everybody's email at this point. Awesome. Yeah. So that's, that's so valuable. Um, those email lists are, are gold. Um, and Instagram. And wanted... so I've got everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and if it's just like, Hey, you guys like this week, you just, you know, I'm going to do a Friday. Like we're all going to be on at 5 PM with cocktails. If, if we want to just like, if, like you could be the host kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. If that's how we want to try and keep the Instagram community or uh, the the nystagmus community, um, you know, popping. I don't know. I I think it's really up to us because the one thing that I've found out is m- much of the administration or many of the organizations tend to be run by people who don't have it, and I guess that's kind of ironic, but it, that makes sense. Seeing that, like, I couldn't necessarily help running an, an nystagmus charity that I just wouldn't have the visual capacity. Um, a lot of but, parents of children with nystagmus. Right. Is what we're yeah. yeah. There's there's a the great motivation there, which I just don't have yet because I, I mean I just don't have a kid or a kid with nystagmus. So, um, in in this sense though, I think the best part is just to be like, what stupid thing happened this week because of your vision that you want to get off your chest? Like we can. <laughs> oh, that's sick. That's a good one. <laughs> I got to talk to you when, when we end filming, I got to talk to you more in depth about some of these ideas that we've got here so we can absolutely get into yeah. some of it. All right. I think I'm going to go ahead and end this episode here. Sure. Uh, dude, Chris, I appreciate you coming on, dude. This is a fantastic episode and you brought so much knowledge to me and a lot of the, the vision therapy stuff. And what was that other, the, the mindset, the, was it anti-fragility, anti-fragility? Yes. Lots of cool stuff there, dude. I I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you for coming on. I appreciate everybody for listening. If you've made it this far, uh, please hit that subscribe button. I've been looking at my statistics guys and like 50% of you guys aren't subscribed. I don't know what you're doing, but like, if you've made it this far, you should totally subscribe and, uh, also check out the, the Instagram page. I post two to three clips a week on there and, lots of lots of good stuff on that instagram page we're building a community all right there's a lot of parents of children with nystagmus and there's a lot of people with nystagmus we got we got everybody we're working on it um i guess i'm gonna announce it now but we're gonna have some merch coming out pretty soon we're gonna gonna have some some shirts and some other stuff to uh, to put out there so that's on the way uh all right all right we're gonna end this i'm gonna stop recording now i appreciate you coming on chris man Yeah, thank you so much.